0: Welcome to episode number 59 on the My Story Podcast. The My Story Podcast features interviews with leaders, influencers, and entrepreneurs who tell their stories and the life lessons they've learned along the way. My goal is to inspire you to live a life of meaning and purpose. Hi, my name's Conrad Weaver. I'm a documentary filmmaker, a storyteller, an entrepreneur, and the host of this show, the My Story Podcast. And I'm so glad you stopped by to listen to the program today. According to the Christian Alliance for Orphans organization, there are approximately 150 million orphans in the world today. That's unbelievable. In the US alone, there are more than 111,000 children waiting to be adopted. Today on the show, we'll be talking about these issues and the challenges of adopting vulnerable children. My guest is Arthur C. Woods. Arthur and his wife had some very painful experiences while waiting to adopt, and he shares this story with us today here on the My Story podcast. Arthur is a speaker, a teacher, a writer, and loves speaking to parents, families, and students. He currently serves as a court appointed special advocate for Lancaster County, Pennsylvania and sits on the board of directors of the Camp Orchard Hill, a a youth camp in Dallas, Pennsylvania. He's the author of Trusting the God of the Gospel, which is a video curriculum designed to help parents talk with their adopted and foster teenagers about God. Arthur and his wife live in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, along with their adorable Siberian Husky, Jadis, and their super cute cat, Eppy. Arthur and I met through a business small group through our church, and I recorded this conversation a few months ago. So I hope you enjoy the show and learn something about adoption. Hey, if you enjoy this show and get something out of it, please do a couple of things for me. First, please subscribe and then leave a review. This really helps me know who's listening and that you enjoy what you hear. And You'll help more people discover this show and perhaps their purpose through the stories they hear. Thanks for being a part of this community of listeners. I'm so grateful for your faithful support. And now here's my interview with Arthur C. Woods. Well, Arthur, welcome to the My Story podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Yeah, Conrad, thanks for uh, having me on. This is great.
0: So uh, Arthur, tell us a little bit about who you are and what do you do?
1: Sure. Well, uh, uh, my name's Arthur. Been happily married to my beautiful wife over uh, twenty years, and uh, we have been on a, a bit of a adoption foster care journey for about uh, five or six years now. That has has kind of been an absolute roller coaster of emotions—good, bad, and ugly—and and everything in between. Um, And uh, right now, vocationally, I do some speaking and teaching and and podcast interviews um, around uh, various subjects, but typically around uh, the subjects of orphan care, adoption, foster care, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm.
0: So, how did you get to where you are today? What what where were you born? What was your what was your life like? Sure. Well, I was was actually
1: born as a New Yorker, a Brooklyn New Yorker, huh? New Yorker, yeah, (laughs) Brooklyn. Brooklyn, New York. And I, and honestly, I, I only lived there for the first four years of my life before, uh, for mommy and daddy moved us all to Pennsylvania to, to spend uh, uh, what seems like the rest of my life. Yeah, so, so the, the accent
0: guy. wouldn't, wasn't, you know, wasn't able to attach to you, right? <laughs> no, it, it really wasn't. But,
1: but boy, you can still hear it in my parents sometimes, because mm. both of them had, had grown up, spend their whole, whole life in New York City. And and even being in Pennsylvania now for uh, the past few decades you can still hear the mm-hmm. uh, uh the New York accent come out in, in them so that's cool
0: so so you grew up in Pennsylvania
1: yeah I grew um, up in Pennsylvania in a very kind of conservative traditional christian uh bubble and uh, uh liked liked it for the most part i didn't have too much of a rebellious spirit and kind of worked within those those confines and and, uh, I became a Christian at one point because, uh, someone said, Hey, if you don't want to go to hell, ex- ex- you know, <laughs> accept Jesus. And I was like, okay, I guess I don't want to go to hell. So, uh, I'm not sure that's always the best way to, uh, <laughs> to put your faith in something, but that's how it was for me as a little kid. And obviously since then, uh, I have, have grown in my understanding of faith and God mm-hmm. and spirituality and, and, uh, who Jesus really is. And it's, it's a lot more than fire insurance, but, um, yeah, I went to uh, Christian school, graduated from high school, and went right on to uh, Bible college. Got my bachelor's degree at Lancaster Bible College in uh, Pennsylvania, and then uh, also went on to get my master's degree uh, from Bible college as well. So again, it, it just seemed like I was in this this little Christian bubble uh, virtually my my entire life. Most of the jobs I've had were working for uh, companies that were owned owned and operated by uh, uh, by christians so it And it, how is uh, how is
0: that all that christian upbringing and education how has that uh really influenced your life how has that shaped who you are today
1: Yeah I think it it's it's certainly influenced and shaped me drastically in good ways and possibly even in some bad ways certainly growing up uh, my father was a pastor um and so I was I was in many ways the stereotypical pastor's kid but maybe not quite as rebellious as the stereotype uh, usually indicates but uh growing up in that kept me very grounded in my faith and to this day I I remain grounded in my my faith but I think I grew up a little on the judgy side um and I think it took me it took me through my 20s to get to a point where I I really pulled back and and said, you know, I'm really, I'm really judging some people here. I'm really judging some people groups here. And it was time to kind of like shed all that, you know, mm-hmm. because if, if you flip through the Bible, you flip through God's word, you're, you're really not going to find, um, situations where where god is asking us to judge people that we disagree with and mm. i'd rather uh rather embrace the teachings of jesus that are all about love and forgiveness and grace and mercy and and all the things i need shown to me why would i not show those mm. things to uh to other people mm. so thank so you
0: how do you flip that switch how do you you know go from kind of a and, and i have the same kind of background you know so it i went through that same process but how did you kind of Kind of turn to a, a more non-judgmental view of the world.
1: Sure. Well, I think for some people it's probably a journey, maybe even a very long journey. For me, it was fairly binary. It was almost like I woke up one day with a realization: like my my thinking is wrong here. I learned some things in my past that were incorrect, um, and I need to start thinking more rightly. I need to think more lovingly and less judgingly, and. I would say for the most part, it happened very quickly. And I was able to kind of make that, make that switch. Um, And I think it's been a lot better ever since that.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, in the course of your life and and you've kind of went down this path now with you and your wife as in looking into adoption, how did you get to that point where you decided, let's look into this, this issue or or this, this opportunity and uh, see what works?
1: Yeah. Well, when we first got, got married and that was uh, about 21 years ago, we, we knew we were going to have kids, but we, we always were just putting it off uh, and putting it off. And we put it off for years because we just kept looking at it as something that's in the future. We're not ready to be parents yet. We're not ready to have kids yet. We don't even know, like, are we going to have kids biologically? Are we going to adopt? Are we going to do foster care? We had no idea. And so we kept putting it off for years and years. And it was only about, uh, Five or six, maybe seven years ago, that we started having the conversations about. Well, I guess we should probably talk about having a family. What does it look like for us to have to have children in some capacity? And so we made the decision that we're going to pursue adoption. We thought a lot of people adopt. It looks like uh, you know uh, that'll be a pretty easy thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> Any, anyone who knows anything about adoption knows adoption is far from easy. I think we went in certainly uh, a little on the naive mm-hmm. side. But we made that decision to adopt, and that has led us on a journey of the past five or six years that, uh, at this point, has still not led to a successful adoption.
0: Mm, wow. So what, were, what was that process? I mean, what do you do when you first say, okay, well, let's adopt? What, what's the first thing you do? I mean, how does that work?
1: <laughs> well, I think like a lot of people, we, we went to the old Google machine and <laughs> typed in adoption. Like, where do you, where do you even start? And you type in adoption and I'm sure you can realize how many millions and millions of websites just suddenly pop up on the on the phrase adoption. And, and uh, many of them are to adopt a dog. So uh, <laughs> we we have a dog. We didn't think we needed to adopt another one. So why don't we talk about adopting uh, adopting children? And uh, uh, we got hooked up with a, a well-known uh, national Adoption agency and started taking some classes with them, informational classes talking about the different types of a job adoption through international, domestic, uh, foster care, kinship care, those kind of things. And uh, uh, we made a decision that we were going to pursue an international adoption and bring in a uh, uh, preferably a sibling group from another country.
0: Hmm. Do you know is is that typical? Is that do a lot of adoptions in the U.S. happen from in, from the international, or are there also, a lot of adoptions domestically. You know what their ratio is?
1: I don't know what the exact you know ratio is, but it it is a pretty good mix. Typically, if you want to adopt domestically from here, right in the United States, you'd be adopting a uh, an infant, unless you went through the the foster care system and adopted mm-hmm. from the foster care system. With international adoption, it's really you could be adopting uh, anyone from a from an infant right on up through through an older teenager. So we felt like international adoption allowed us to to hone in a, a little bit better on kind of what we felt we were being called to adopt, which was actually older kids. We were looking at, mm-hmm. at kind of that middle school, junior high age uh, to adopt, which most people, um, from what I understand, most people aren't really looking to adopt quite that old. So we were kind of a little bit of a unicorn in that sense. Mm
0: -hmm. Because older kids tend to come with more baggage, so to speak, and and more challenges that they've experienced, life experiences. Many of them have probably been in some kind of foster care or maybe orphan care, orphanages, and things like that, especially international kids.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. majority of the kids that you adopt internationally have spent time some of them their entire lives in orphanages and Mm. and we don't really have orphanages here in the united states there's group homes and some other things but but these are typically orphanages in in other countries and and so they uh uh boy boy it's tough that you know i don't want to say bad things about orphanages because in a lot of cases it's just people doing their best to take Mm. care of way too many kids and and but the kids don't get the the care that they need the love that they need the family that they need and that's why international adoption can be such an incredible thing if <laughs> if you know you can figure out how to uh, make it happen which uh, at this point my wife and I have have not been able to mm. uh to kind of have that happen yet
0: yeah i've had the opportunity to you know be in eastern europe and ukraine specifically and visiting a number of orphan you know orphanages there the country of ukraine though is doing some new things they're really They have a uh, one of their ministers in the government is really focused on vulnerable children and he's really made it his efforts to eliminate orphanages per se and put kids more in family groups so they put in you know like we were visited this one home where a mom and dad who had you know three or four kids of their own had an additional seven or eight kids that they housed and they took care of, so they had now this larger extended family, and that's really the government's initiative, and and they get paid for this, so the government yeah. pays them. It's not really a foster care, but it's it's kind of their semi permanent home in a way, and they receive, I mean, to my understanding, they receive much better care, and and of course these families are more are vetted pretty severely, and you know monitored for what the, you know, how they handle these kids. So I think that's a, I think that's a good move. To get kids out of the institution of an orphanage, which can be really damaging.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I actually like that that model that you just described is really gaining uh, gaining some some legs. In fact, there's a uh, an organization uh, here in, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where I live um, called uh, uh, Horizon, and they create these these beautiful areas in different in different countries where kids can come and live in essentially a family unit. So it's not some big orphanage with, you know, 200 kids in it. It's actually, you're going into a home and there's, and there's a mom and there's a dad and there's, you know, in essence your brothers and sisters kind of, and you're, you're creating more of a family environment. It's everything you really just, uh, just described. And so I really like that model and Ukraine for years now has been, been, really at the forefront of international adoption, trying to do some some good things and make some very needed changes. Mm-hmm.
0: Then some other countries, I know Russia, they closed down their adoption opportunities out of, out of Russia, right?
1: Yeah, and that's that's part of what happened with us. Um, part of the reason we weren't able to adopt uh, internationally is the country that we were adopting from was uh, the country of Kyrgyzstan and Central Asia. And uh, they shut down international adoption for uh for a time as well and so i think they i think they've opened it again since then uh, but there was a time right in the middle of our adoption process where everything just got shut down and they they said no more um and a lot of countries on um, it's unfortunate but there's a lot of a lot of corruption on the on the local and regional levels when it comes to adoption and and uh i think some of these these governments are saying we have to make sure our process is secure it's safe it's appropriate um before we continue with it so um that's what part of are, what, what been, unfortunately what have, we had to do
0: so and i know there's good players and bad players in the adoption community and what do people need to look for you know in in those organizations that maybe aren't you know up to par for you know, what, what they need to be doing you know to help people adopt
1: yeah i think i think reputation is a big deal and that's the nice thing about the internet these days you can you can find out information about whether it's an adoption agency or specifically a country in terms of adoption or an individual you can find out kind of what their reputation is in the adoption community and you want to be careful i mean any organization can have someone who has said something bad about them. I mean, you, you can type in virtually any organization and find something bad. But if you find those bad things over and over again, you're probably saying, all right, maybe this isn't the direction that we, we want to, uh, to steer. And we would have, like I said earlier, we went in a little naive, as I think a lot of, you know, pre adoptive families do. We went in a little naive and, and probably would have done some things a bit differently over the past five or six years that, uh, um, we now know. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you get to the point where you were close to having an adoption come through and then it fell through? What was that? What were some of those, those pitfalls or, or some of those yeah, challenges? That's,
1: that's exactly right. Um, we had started the adoption process, uh, in Kyrgyzstan through a hosting ministry. In other words, the, the two siblings, it was two girls, two sisters that we were going to adopt came over from Kyrgyzstan and spent uh, five weeks of the summer in our home hmm. getting to know us. And they only spoke Russian, which was great. So we did a lot of charades and Google Translate and pointing. <laughs> and it was, it was very cool. And they were with us for five weeks and we fell in love with the kids. The whole time they were here, we were pursuing the paperwork for their adoption. And then after five weeks, we had to put them back on a plane and, and send them back to their orphanage in Kyrgyzstan. That actually happened two more times. They were able to come over for Christmas for four weeks. And then the following summer, they were able to come over again for five weeks. So by that time we're we're looking at these girls saying like, these are our daughters that entire time where we're pursuing the adoption, getting all the paperwork in line. And then the country of Kyrgyzstan says, we want you guys to come over and uh, spend two weeks on what they call a bonding trip with the girls in kyrgyzstan getting to know them even more and then when that's over um you you will have to go home again but then we'll call you back probably about a month later and finalize the adoption so everything was ready to go the kids had been in our house uh several times we had spent uh it ended up being three weeks in kyrgyzstan with the girls we were kind of like this family we're all uh, in love with each other, everything was going great. We learned a little bit of Russian; they learned a little bit of English. It made things uh, a lot easier. And then the the carpet just got pulled out from from under us. And and uh, there's some things that happened that I that I don't necessarily want to go into publicly to kind of um, throw some <laughs> some organizations or or countries under the bus, but just kind of suffice to say that that it, it fell apart by no fault of, of our own or by no fault really of the girls. And, uh, we were told that we were not going to be able to, to adopt. And then, uh, um, right around that same time, Kyrgyzstan closed their, closed their doors Mm -hmm. to international adoption. And that pretty much ended, ended our case.
0: Wow. I'm sure that was devastating for you guys. And I'm sure I'm assuming it was devastating for the girls as well.
1: Yeah. I, you know, we don't, we don't know because Mm -hmm you know, when we last saw them, it was in Kyrgyzstan, we were with them. And some of the last words we said to them is, we'll be back in a month to mm. adopt you and bring you home to America. Wow! And then we didn't get the opportunity to even tell them that mm. that wasn't going to happen. We don't know what they were told. And we don't know if they were lied to. For all I know, they could have been told, oh, yeah, your American mommy and daddy didn't didn't want to adopt you anymore. Mm. So they're not coming back, you know, I, stuff like that happens. And, and so we weren't, we were heartbroken ourselves, but also heartbroken over here are these two girls that they were ready to be adopted. They loved us. And now that's not going to happen for them. And who knows what they were even told me, you know, so mm. it was
0: tough. Well, wow, And you have no way of contacting them. Right. And there's, there's no recourse that way. We've had,
1: we've had some uh, social media connection uh, with them. Uh, over over the past couple years, at least with the older one, the younger one's not on social media, and uh, because of of the language barrier, it's we can't really get into too deep mm-hmm. of a of a conversation. But through a a translator friend of ours, we have tried to convey that the decision not to adopt them was not ours, and that we mm-hmm. we were planning to bring them back. Wow! Um, so.
0: Well, yeah. well, I'm really sorry. You, you guys went through that and have been, and are, are continuing to going through that, those challenges of, you know, are you now still seeking to adopt or is that something that that's kind of now in your, in your back, in your rearview mirror?
1: You know, I, after the the Kyrgyzstan adoption fell through, we, we gave it some, some time. And then we, we made a decision to adopt through the, the United States foster care system. And, uh, um, we had a sibling group that was placed for us, placed with us, and they were with us for, uh, about a year and a half. And, uh, that was also going to lead to their adoption. And, and I won't go into the details of that story. It's a whole, whole nother long story, but again, by, by no fault of myself or, or Liz, my wife, that, uh, adoption fell through as well after a year and a half and, and, uh, and there we were back again to having an, an empty house. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we've mm-hmm. we've gotten uh, pretty close to uh, pretty close to some some really amazing kids that we really fell in love with them, and and they fell in love with us. And then that got that got pulled away at the last minute.
0: Mm-hmm. What's that make you think or feel about the whole I mean, kind of air quotes here industry in the adoption community? <laughs>
1: It's it's done a couple things. I mean, I'd, I'd be lying if I said there's there's not some jadedness, some bitterness, some cynicism about the the whole industry. It's not a perfect industry, and everyone everyone knows that. Um, but on another level, it's also motivated me to um, to con- continue to try to to spread the gospel of adoption because mm-hmm. even though it's not a perfect system these kids need forever families that are going to be safe, loving and appropriate and that that hasn't changed one way or the other um so i i encourage people if they're thinking about being a foster parent if they're thinking about adopting i encourage them to really look into it and 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 make a decision to move forward on it with the understanding that there's just no guarantees it's not going to be easy and it it could it could fall apart on you. Um, unfortunately as it did to us at least twice, but, uh, boy, if you can, if you can bring kids that need it into your home and be there forever family, that is just an amazing thing.
0: There are so many children around the world, you know, that don't have families that don't have, I mean, I don't know yeah. what the numbers are, but I know it's in the millions of kids that yeah. are you know out there without, without parents, without families. And, Uh, I think adoption is an amazing, you know, when it works and when it comes through, it's an amazing transformation. And and even after an an adoption, there's challenges. My friend, Karen Springs, that was on the podcast a few episodes ago, she wrote a book called Adoption Through the Rearview Mirror. And, uh, again, just had a really poignant look at adoption after it happened and interviewed many uh, 60 some families, I believe, and, you know, told their stories. Uh, about their process and the challenges that they faced after adoption because so many of these kids come home broken and with lots of problems that you know were part of the system and where they were at and and many of them I know I've I've met one that is now an adult that we're actually working on a movie about her life she didn't know how to love because she was never loved and so you know, when her family, who adopted her, was wanting to she didn't know how to reciprocate that love, and it was just some really challenging circumstances.
1: That's the thing while adoption is an amazing thing, and i'm I'm so glad that people have been able to adopt children and teenagers in need. in many ways, adoption is the the start of a brand new journey of of healing from the the trauma that these kids have have no doubt experienced prior to being adopted. and and uh, so it's it's a challenge. The a <laughs> uh, uh, finalized adoption is not the end of the race. If anything, that's the that's the start of the race.
0: Right. Exactly. So, what really what motivates you now to do what you're doing? What's what's your motivating force behind what what who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, I think it it's still it's one of those things that I've I've learned so much over the past five years, and and some I've learned through failure and mistakes, and and others I've learned because things have gone well and we've, we've made, <laughs> we've made the right choices. I feel this, this compelling to share what I've learned, share what I know and, and help other people to, to adopt, to pursue foster care, to to look in, into orphan care in general and, and ask themselves, how can I help children in need? Even if you're not able to bring a child into your home, there's still many ways that, that you can help children in need. And, uh, that's kind of the, the message that I enjoy spreading these days to, um, you know, to whoever will listen.
0: Mm -hmm. Who are some of the people or what are some of the resources that have been a huge influence in your life?
1: Sure. Well, one of the absolute biggest ones and and anyone who's kind of in, in the adoption world or the behavioral health world will know the name Karen Purvis. And, uh, unfortunately she, she did die a few years ago, but the, The research she did into childhood um, behavior was incredible. Um, She created a system called TBRI, Trust-Based Relational Interventions, in terms of how how do we work with and respond to children from hard places as they um, become escalated um, as they become off task, how do we, how do we respond to them in a very non-traditional way that is going to help them, uh, keeping, keeping in light their personal trauma. Uh, so Karen, Karen was uh, a big influence on my, my wife and I, um, her books, her, uh, her videos, uh, really, if you're, if you're thinking about parenting kids from hard places, um, Karen Purvis is one of the people you want to become familiar with and her, her books and, and videos. Hmm.
0: What's a piece of advice that you've received throughout your life related to this or in general for your life? What's a piece of advice that you got from someone that really changed your thinking or maybe even changed, you know, the path of your life?
1: I think as it relates to adoption and foster care, I'll answer specifically in, in that context I think anyone going into it for the first time needs to to understand how challenging it's going to be, even if things go well, even if you pursue adoption and and a year later you've adopted. Like, great, that's awesome. But it's still going to be a challenge. It's not an easy journey. And I think sometimes we we hear that and we're like, oh yeah, yeah, I know it, it. That's fine. I know it's not easy. It'll be fine. And then you get into it and you're like, oh, this really is not easy, is it? And and so I, you know, I guess I would just tell people that it's not an easy process, regardless of of how good or bad the outcome is. It's it's difficult.
0: Mm-hmm. What should someone do? Who are the people that they should surround themselves with? Uh, if they're going down this process, you know, you know, what are some of those resources that uh, are helpful for someone that's that's going down this road?
1: Sure. Well, I think if first of all, if, if you're someone that attends church, um, most churches, even even small churches have a group of people of, of parents who have adopted or who are doing foster care, and they are they are a support group like like no other in terms of their. Uh, their encouragement, their wisdom, their knowledge, those are the people to, you know, to really buddy up next to and and allow them to help you and support you through, uh, through your journey. But even on a more uh, formal basis, most of the adoption agencies, uh, wherever you may live, have classes and support groups and training. And uh, a lot of them are free or inexpensive. And that's another way to just get, get, support so if you're not even sure who those places are again Google' is really not a bad place to start if you if you type in something like adoption agencies near me and start to get to know who are the people uh, and the organizations the ministries that are around you and start using using them to uh, inform you and support you through the
0: journey mm-hmm. So speaking of church, how has the church as a whole been there or not for the adoption community? Or how has 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 adoption even foster care been been uh, impacted by the church or not?
1: How how much time do we have, Conrad? That's <laughs> that is that is a whole podcast in and of itself. But I would I would put it this way because I don't want to throw the the church under the bus. And and when I say church, I'm not talking about a specific local church, but rather the the church here in the United States. Um, It is a work in progress and there is progress happening. I do see more and more churches, big and small, that are kind of catching the the orphan care bug, if you will, and realizing that God has called us to uh, take care of orphans. And we see that in the Old Testament. We see that in the New Testament. Over and over and over again, God is instructing us to take care of orphan and vulnerable children. And I think... uh, I think the churches are starting to do a better job than than perhaps they had been previously. And that's just my opinion and perspective. Others might disagree with that. But I think historically, we probably could have done a bit better in this country over the past few decades.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's something Jesus taught, right? I mean, he was he rebuked his disciples when they were like, oh, keep them kids away. He don't want to see them. Yep. <laughs> bring them. He said, come, bring them on. Yeah, Yeah, yeah and, that's
1: exactly right.
0: And you know something, mm-hmm. I never really gave this problem much thought until I had the opportunity to lead our church's Ukraine ministry back when we were at a at a different church, and I was I had the privilege of going to the Christian Alliance for Orphans Summit in Orlando, yeah. Florida, yeah. and which is a kind of a a kind of an overarching organization that all these adoption organizations kind of are are, are members of, and being there for two, three days and hearing stories and hearing what, you know, how people are impacting these kids and, and even just the, the, the suffering that these kids go through, many kids go through, especially in other countries, you know, is really profound. And it really started my journey into understanding this problem better and having more empathy. And I think the more of us who are Exposed to that message and those stories, I think perhaps there will be more resources uh, allocated, or given, or, or donated toward organizations that making you make a difference. I think you're right. I
1: mean, we as we as a people are very much responsive to people's stories. Um, we even we even see that in in professional fundraising. They'll mm. they'll they'll want to pick out the stories because they know stories will lead to someone opening up their their checkbook. And and while orphan care isn't necessarily about getting someone to open up their checkbook, it is in, in some ways getting them to open up their heart. And stories do allow that to happen, to hear the story of of say an adult adoptee and what they went through and and how adoption was a great thing or even how adoption was a horrible thing, but how they worked through that. And and uh, yeah I would, you know, you've you've been to CAFO, I've been to CAFO, the Christian Alliance for Orphan. I I I would say if, boy, if you're in that, in that world at all, or thinking about getting in that, that adoption foster care world, uh, check out KFO. It is, it's an incredible, uh, uh, few days. I think this coming year it's this fall in Ohio. So okay. my wife and I will be attending that in the fall.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, you know, KFO has, uh, you know i've been I've had the privilege of working with jed medicine who's the president of the CAFO, and he actually endorsed our film project that we're working on and and the project that i'm working on is called scars of an orphan and it's a the story of a young woman that grew up in ukraine and uh, i heard her story at the CAFO summit and she spoke and shared her story and that's where it really drew me into this whole new world for me and orphan care and vulnerable children around the world and made me much, even though it's not my primary passion, it made me much more aware and much more open to hearing these stories and doing something about it. And I think that's something that all of us yeah. have a responsibility to, especially those of us who live in, you know, America where we have everything, so to speak, you know, if we can provide some resources to help organizations that are taking care of these kids, you know, then I think we, we can really all share the burden for that.
1: And I really like that because, because you're a, a good example, Conrad, of, of someone who, who responded to the story of someone's hardship and your, your response wasn't, Oh, well now I just need to go and adopt a bunch of kids or now I need to be a foster parent and get it. Your response was, well, let me use my gifts, my talents, my experience to help out in this issue. And so, as as creating a film about this about this girl's story is orphan care, it is helping, and that's what I love. That that really everyone can do something. It's not always about like let's just get a bunch of kids in our home and take care of them.
0: Yeah, and that and that kind of thing. When I'm working in my sphere of the world and in my strengths and I can use that to help someone else. It really brings fulfillment and it brings, you know, brings peace and it brings joy uh, to me and to the people that I'm I'm working with. And I think the more of us need to be really aware of that and to work in use our skills and talents to uh, to help, you know, causes that are important to us that 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 rise up in our in our worldview yeah. Um, so what are looking at your life and the experiences that you've had not only through adoption but through your your work experience and your, your life in general, marriage, What are some of the big life lessons you've learned along the way?
1: Um, yeah, I can, I can tell you you one of them. I, I said earlier that uh, I dealt with some judginess when I was younger. One of the other things I, I dealt with was um, cynicism. Hmm. I throughout all of my twenties and, and even into my 30s, very, very cynical. And that came out as uh sarcasm and and kind of snippy remarks and that kind of thing. And and while while I haven't always dropped the sarcasm, I will say that I did go on a journey to to try to eliminate cynicism from, from my life. Um, I think I justified it a lot because I used to think I'm not cynical, I'm realistic.
0: Hmm.
1: And a lot of times those things tend to go hand in hand because uh, someone who's cynical will say, well, that's not going to work. And then when it doesn't work, you know, the person's like, see, I told you. And there's, you know, so there does tend to be sometimes a a, a parallel between cynicism and, and reality, but it's just no way to live. It's it's not positive. It's not healthy. It's not even fun. Um, I'd rather, I'd rather expect the best of people, give people the benefit of the doubt, be hopeful for situations, be positive about experiences, and and if something bad happens, something bad bad happens, but I don't wanna live my life assuming uh, that the bad thing is going to happen. Uh, in fact, I used to have a mantra uh, in my young adult years, and and this is almost embarrassing to say because it's such a stupid mantra. But I used to say, expect the worst and you'll never be disappointed. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know you want to talk about cynicism, just go through life expecting to the worst, and then you'll never be disappointed. I don't want to live like that. That's a stupid way to live.
0: Hmm. Well, I think that's a an uh, important lesson to learn to to get beyond that 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 view of life, right? Yeah. It, it's much more healthy to, to think in a more positive way. I, and I kind of really tend to be the opposite of that. I'm always kind of almost the Pollyanna, you know, everything's good yes. and everything's happening, Everything's well, you know? Yeah. And so, and my wife helps ground me. She helps keep me kind of pull me back and, you know, like, yeah, it's not all sunshine and roses. There's, you know, a lot of thorns in the, in the way as well. Um, so so I'm a filmmaker, well, and I think, whenever, world, I think
1: the world. does need more
0: polyam. Well, that that's yeah. I think especially the world, these days, the world does need more Pollyanna. Especially these days, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I'm a filmmaker, and whenever I'm working on a on a film or a documentary, I write what's called a logline, and you know, logline is that sentence that kind of describes the movie. So when a movie about your life is made, what will the logline be? Wow, I would I
1: would like to think um it would be something along the lines of um serving god through helping students parents and families develop. Uh you put me on the spot there so that's not a, a perfectly wordsmith crafted sentence sure. but something something along the lines that that I serve god by helping other people.
0: Hmm. So what what brings you the, the the greatest joy?
1: I would say these these days time with my my family and uh you know over the past five years my family has looked very different um in terms of who's who's in it um and who's not but uh spending time with my family is is probably the, the biggest joy and there wasn't a whole lot of great stuff in 2020 but uh it did force us together as families a little more often when, you know, once we were allowed to be in the same room as each other, that, that is, uh, we did get to spend more time as a family. And I, I did like that. I continue to like that a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. So what's the next big thing for you?
1: Well, now that uh, some live events are starting to open up just a little bit, and hopefully in the coming months and the next year, that's going to open up more and more. I've been able to start getting booked again for some, speaking and teaching engagements. I do a lot, uh, speak to uh, uh, conferences, seminars, camps, schools, really whoever will will listen and uh, get to kind of talk to them about, a lot of times it's, it's about orphan care, adoption, foster care. And so that's been, that's been really cool to be able to see those opportunities open up again because it's for the past year because of COVID, um, all, all my live events got canceled. I was able to pick up a few virtual events here and there but I'm looking forward to to live events kind of coming back, hopefully sometime in the next few months, the next year or so.
0: What's the range of subjects that you can talk about in, in, as you speak? You mentioned the orphan care and adoption. What are some of the other things that you, you can talk about?
1: Yeah, some of the other things I've talked about is I've, um, I speak with students a lot. And uh, I've talked to them about personal productivity, looking at looking at school, how can you be more productive uh, in your life as you're going through middle school, high school, here are some, some tips and tricks and those kind of thing. And, and that's been fun to do. And that's certainly different than the whole adoption foster care area. And sometimes it's just uh, general spiritual formation stuff. This, In fact, this weekend, I'm flying out to uh, Wisconsin to talk at a, at a family camp, and we're going to be... Um, I'm going to be leading them through a, a process of as as we have been shown grace by God, what does it look like for us to show grace to others, uh, specifically our spouse, our children, and even ourselves? How do we show grace to ourselves? Because if, if you're like me, sometimes we don't give a lot of grace to ourselves. And then how do you show grace to your enemies as well? Um, so that's more of a, a general spiritual formation type uh, type conference that I'll be be talking at. But uh, yeah, so I'm a little bit all a little bit all
0: over the board right now. Mm-hmm. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you?
1: Sure, just uh, arthurcwoods.com, uh, middle initial C. So arthurcwoods.com, and then I'm on uh, social media at arthurcwoods as well. Uh, that'll probably be the the best way to do it.
0: Well, there you have it. Check him out. Arthur C. Woods, speaker, and uh, had some challenging times and years in the adoption world. And Arthur, thank you so much for sharing your story today. I really appreciate you uh, yeah. being vulnerable and sharing uh, some, of the, some of the challenging things that you've talked about.
1: Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Conrad.
0: Arthur, thanks for sharing your story and for the work you do with vulnerable children and at-risk kids. It's such important work and more of us need to get involved with helping kids around the world. Thank you for listening to the show today. And if you enjoy what you hear, please leave a review and a rating. This lets me know what you like and how I can improve the show. And please share this episode with a friend or colleague, especially if they're interested in adopting. The music on today's show is from my friend, Drew Davidson. You can get all of his music on iTunes or Spotify or at drewdavidson.com. Finally, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you won't miss an episode. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you again next time on the My Story Podcast.